And so this morning we are wrapping up our One Another series, looking at God's invitation to community and what it means to be a people marked by love. So today's scripture reading is from Romans 12, 9 through 16. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nicole. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome again. Um, for those of you I have not met, my name is Josh. Uh, I have the honor of being uh, one of the pastors here at Reality. And again, just want to say uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here today. Uh, if you are visiting us for the first time, again, uh, thanks so much for for jumping in and uh, courageously stepping out to, to be here. If you've been here through all the seasons, it's great to see you as well. Um, if, if we haven't met, uh, come grab me afterwards. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to answer any questions you have. Uh, I'd love to help you find ways to get plugged into uh, this community if that would be a, a resource to you. Um, well, this morning, uh, uh, as Nicole already mentioned, we're in this series on the one and others of Scripture. And this morning, actually, we're bringing this series that we've been uh, journeying together through over the last eight weeks uh, to a close. Uh, over the course of these eight weeks, we've been looking, uh, kind of tracking this, this Greek word, alelon, which shows up around a hundred times through the New Testament, uh, throughout the course of Scripture. And, and this word means uh, one another. It's, it's usually translated one another or each other in our New Testaments. And as we've said a number of times, really, uh, the big idea of what it means to be community in the family of Jesus is to just love one another. But that's a, it feels kind of ambiguous, kind of abstract. Like, what does that really mean? And so these, these, uh, these one another passages, almost like facets on a diamond, allow us to turn the big idea of love over and see uh, different ways in which that actually plays out and is expressed tangibly. And so this morning, uh, I want to close out our series with a talk uh, based on Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, which reads in part, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. And, and honestly, I'm feeling a little anxious about this talk this morning. Um, this is a hard one. This is a, a talk that I, first of all, is challenging because it's something that I actually don't think personally I'm very good at. This is not the natural gravitation for me, which sounds silly as a pastor, but I'll carry on and I think you'll understand more what I mean. It's also challenging because I'm just aware that um, from, you know, there's just something rich about showing up at the last weekend of summer, the people who are actually here, and having a pastor stand up on the stage and talk about how like we should value church or prioritize church. Obviously, if you're here, probably that's because you're part of the, the, the group of people who, who already does in some significant degree. And yet, at the risk of me just sounding self-interested or stepping on toes this morning, I felt like we couldn't finish, we couldn't close this series that we've been in on the one another's without looking at this text and this, this command really to be devoted to one another. 
And there's a couple reasons for that, one of which, and, and this is really what I hope to convince you of by the end of our time today, is that prioritizing the family of God is in your self-interest. It is good for you. Uh, the second reason, though, is that, we, you know, throughout this series, we've been painting kind of a picture, adding a little bit to that picture each week of, of what life looks like in the family of God. And, and it's been rich and it's been beautiful, this vision of mutuality where we serve each other and care for one another and extend hospitality to one another. And I believe in the pro- possibility and promise of that vision with all of my being. And yet, in a very tangible way, if we do not follow Paul's invitation or really command to be devoted to one another, this beautiful vision that we all like, we all aspire to, will remain out of reach in some significant way. A mirage of something that's, you know, like one of those slogans you put up on the wall of the office that sounds good, everybody likes it, but like, how does it actually, how does it actually touch down in our lives? So, with all that said, I want to I dive in, and I want to do so initially by talking a little bit about the water we swim in. Uh, there was a, a famous David Foster Wallace speech a few years ago which, in which he told the story of two fish who are merrily sl- swimming along on their way. And, and as they're swimming along, an older fish uh, passes in the other direction and says, hey guys, how's the water? And the fish kind of looked confused and kept on swimming. And a few minutes later, one of the fish looked at the other and he said, what the heck is water? The point here obviously being that, that sometimes our context, the place that we find ourselves, right, our, our culture, if you will, isn't actually very apparent to us. In fact, you almost have to get outside of it in order to notice it. Because there are so many things in our life that just feel obvious. Like, well, this is just how it ought to be. This is how things are. But, but when we begin to step out and take a different perspective, we begin to realize, oh, this is simply one way of being in the world. It's simply one way of navigating the world. In fact, sociologists have referred to our unique culture that we find ourselves in as weird. As weird. And, and not only because it is indeed a strange culture in the context of the broader sweep of history, but also as an acronym that stands for Western, Educated, Industrialized, Rich, and Democratic. Weird. We live in a weird culture. And part of that culture, part of the water that we swim in, um, is what I want to talk about this morning. But but I do so, again, with, with just some caveats, because in, even in a, a relatively small community such as ours, we have not one culture, but many cultures here, right? Not everybody is coming at this from the same perspective. So I just want to acknowledge that I am in some significant ways this morning speaking to myself. Uh, this, is, this is my culture. And if you resonate with that, if you could take some things from it, fabulous. I think the invitation is going to apply to all of us but some of what I'm kind of unpacking and challenging may be less relevant to you uh, depending on which Boston you happen to inhabit. There's a lot of different cities here in our city. Uh, From the people who celebrated Carnival in my neighborhood yesterday to the people who attended St. Anthony's Feast to the people who have no idea what either of those things are, like there's just a lot of cultures happening in proximity to one another. And so we're coming at things from different vantage points. But some of the water in which I think at least many of us find ourselves swimming might be described as workism. 
A number of years ago, back in 1930, the economist John Maynard Keynes predicted that the 21st century, once we arrived, would allow for 15-hour work weeks and five-day weekends. Keynes predicted with these rapid advances in technology that we're having with increasing efficiencies of scale that before you know it, we would be in a situation where our greatest problem would be, how do I spend all of this leisure time? As you may have noticed, that's not exactly how things have shaken out. In contrast, somehow it feels like, at least to me, again, maybe to you, maybe this is your culture or not, it, it, it feels almost like our foot is stuck on the accelerator and we just keep going faster. Now, I know there are lots of reasons for that. Like, Boston is an expensive city, right? Some of us have to hustle just to make ends meet. But what I'm talking about this morning is, is really, it's, it's not the, the necessity, it's the culture, it's the internal drivers that keep us moving faster, even when we're not at risk of losing the place to stay that we have or, or going without food or, or, or water. It's a, it's a culture of hustle. In his article in The Atlantic, Why Americans Care About Work So Much, Derek Thompson describes this philosophy as workism. According to Thompson, workism is a belief structure that elevates work, career, and accomplishment above all else. He says it's a belief system that offers a solution for some of our deepest human longings, identity, community, purpose, and self-actualization. And the only thing to call such a belief structure, according to Thompson, is a religion. Thompson sees a connection between the kind of hustle culture and workism as he describes it on one hand, and on the other between the dramatic decline in religious participation. And there has been quite the decline, if you hadn't noticed. Over the past 25 years, 40 million Americans have stopped attending religious gatherings. And over the past 25 years, there's been a dramatic shift in how we relate to and show up to church. 25 years ago, um, uh, regular attendance would have meant that we attend three times a week. 10 years ago, regular attendance had fallen to something like maybe twice a month. And, and today on the other side of the pandemic, man, I think it's less than that. If we get here once a month, we're feeling pretty good. Isabel Fatal writes about this situation that contemporary America simply is not set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't directly contribute to one's own professional life or, as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. Friends, I don't know if you feel yourself in any of that. I can tell you that that, I'm like, ouch. Yeah, that, that lands for me. And this isn't just a shift in some individual choices. This is a fundamentally restructuring of how we pursue identity, purpose, community, even transcendence in the world. And because we've come to view work as this guiding principle of our lives, the thing around which we organize everything else, our lives often feel stretched like a rubber band, about to snap. And, and church attendance ends up feeling like one more item on a checklist that is already too long. Anybody resonate with that? I'm the pastor, and sometimes I resonate with that. 
And then we come to Paul's command here in Romans chapter 12 to be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Now, Paul inhabits a non-weird culture. He inhabits a very different culture from ours. But his, his, his command here, his invitation, is still radical in his context. Admittedly, Paul's context was much more communal. The common life and, and shared relationships were, were more central. But what Paul is asking people to do is actually shift away from uh, their biological families to prioritize their church families. And he does so here in verse 10 as part of, a, a, there's really a single sentence that extends from verses 9 to 13 with the overarching idea that love should be genuine. And so throughout this, this text that um, Nicole read for us, we, we see all of these descriptors of what it looks like for love to show up as genuine. And here in verse 10 in particular, Paul uses three primary points to, to talk about this invitation to devotion. And, and some of these words may be familiar of, for you, even if you're not a Greek scholar this morning. Uh, the words, the three main words here we see are, that we're keying in on in verse 12, 10 are Philadelphia, Alelone, and Philostorgos, okay? Now, the first of those, of course, or the second, rather, uh, alelon is the same word that we've been tracking all series, one another, that we talked about at the top. Uh, the first word, uh, Philadelphia, of course, we all know by that city in Pennsylvania that goes by this name, and you know it as the city of brotherly love, right? And that's exactly what this word means. It's the city of brotherly love, or Philadelphia means brotherly love. And this last word, Philostorgos, is the, the word that is being translated in our text as devotion, so what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, in, in the context of brotherly love, love one another with devotion. And, and it's interesting in these words, both you can actually hear it, it's almost poetic the way that Paul writes this, both Philadelphia and Philostorga have this Phila kind of prefix on it. We get familial, right, or family from the same kind of idea. What Paul is saying is really he's advocating for a family relationship and how we relate to one another. Paul is arguing that the family of Jesus, the bonds of baptism, ought to for us be even thicker than the bonds of blood. He's saying that we ought to be connected in such a deep and significant way that we prioritize, that we are devoted to one another. The Oxford Dictionary tells us that devoted means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, activity, or cause. To give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, activity, or cause to be devoted. Over in the book of Mark, Jesus tells a story about four different kinds of people to whom his message about the life of the kingdom comes. And in Mark uh, chapter 4, he compares these four different types or groups of people to, to different kinds of, of soil. And in this passage, there's there's, he goes through each of these, and the, the last, the good one, the category that we want to be in, is fertile soil. It's the kind of soil that when seeds come in, when the message or the invitation to this kingdom life goes in, man, it's planted deep, it takes off, it's rich, it grows tall, there's lots and lots of fruit. But before Jesus gets to the, the rich or the good soil, he names three other types of soil. And there's one of those types of soil that 
whenever I'm personally reading, I just like, I get stuck on. It's one of those things that it almost feels like, I don't know if you have this experience, sometimes you're reading the New Testament and it's just like, whew, I just need to sit with that for a minute. Almost like it takes your breath away. And it is in verses 18 and 19, the description of the thorny ground, or as the message puts it, the weeds. So striking, so resonant to me. Listen to what Jesus says about his message, the seeds, when they fall upon people whose lives are thorny or weedy ground. Reading from the Amplified Bible here, Jesus says, the cares and anxieties of the world, distractions of the age, and the the pleasures and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches, and the craving and passion and desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. According to the message, renders this verse, these people, the weedy ground, are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard. Nothing comes of it. Friends, this is me in a lot of ways. Maybe it's you too. I think it's Boston for sure. There are so many things. Our lives are so full. They're so busy. And often we're, we're proud of it. How late we stayed up working or how full our lives were with good things. We wear it almost like as a badge of pride and And there's so many things. There's these deadlines we got to hit and there's trips we want to schedule and people we're overdue to see and and, and upgrades we're trying to get in on and and things that would be awesome if we could get our kids into and events that we're trying to to make and and to-dos we're trying to catch up on and our lives are so freaking full. Not of bad things. I mean, uh, maybe of bad things, but usually they're of good things, right? Right? Things that we look and, and we say, yeah, that's awesome. It's so cool that you got to do that. It's so cool that, that you're able to be in this position. And, and yay, like it's great that we have demanding careers, right? And full lives and lots of relationships. It's not bad. Our lives are just very often, my life is weedy. It's weedy. And, and the water around us, because we're in a space where You know, we're just with a bunch of other fish swimming, right? And so we often have that experience. Like, have you ever, have you ever been out in in the water where the tide is coming in or going out or there's a little bit of a current? A little bit offshore, maybe you're in a boat, maybe you're just floating off at the beach. And you're playing, you're having a good time, and then you look back at your blanket or your umbrella or whatever it was, and you're like, whoa, like I'm all the way over here. How did, how did I get clear down the beach? I, I didn't notice. It didn't feel like I was moving. In fact, the person right next to me, they didn't move. They were right there the whole time. But we're drifting. And friends, our culture is drifting. You don't, you don't have to do anything in order to drift. Like, you just have to be. You just have to do the exact same thing that all your colleagues are doing and everyone around you is doing and and the same thing that it looks like is normal. 
Okay, please take a deep breath here. Seriously, like take a deep breath. Because I, this is why this is a hard message, okay? Because some of, I, I get, I know, I know, I don't know all of, all of your stories, but I, I know my story and I know some of you have stories like it where you grew up in a context, in a church context, where there was enormous amount of social coercion and shame about things like showing up to church and volunteering. And there were the better people who did it more and there were the worst people who did it less, right? And I just want to, I just want to say that that is not the conversation that I'm attempting to have this morning, right? There is no finger wagging here. Nobody is bad. I'm not coming for you, I promise. This is not about you and how you just need to shape up and do better. I'm definitely, there's some things that I'm definitely not saying this morning. And I want to be really clear. I'm not saying that like, you just need to show up to every Sunday gathering and never leave and don't go anywhere and don't take vacations and just always be here be here early in time for prayer. I'm definitely not saying that you should like volunteer three, four times every month, right? And always be invested in that way. I'm I'm not saying that you should just replace your work-based hustle culture with a church-based hustle culture and keep hustling. Well, Okay, in fairness, sometimes I am saying that, but that's not what I'm trying to communicate to you. That is, that is the way in which this false belief, this false story has its hooks in me, and sometimes I get wrapped into that. But that's not true. That's not the invitation that I think we have today, because I don't believe that what be devoted to one another means is primarily about how many events you attend or, or how many things you do. I think what Paul is talking about is the relationships. If you look at this text of scriptures, it's all about relationships. And here's the thing. You can show up to a Sunday gathering every week and not be in deep relationships, right? And, 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 and sometimes I think we do that. Like, if you're going to a ball game at Fenway, right, you can sit down and watch the Red Sox play, and never really, maybe you cheers the guy next to you when somebody hits a homer, but that's, that's about the extent of the interaction you leave. You don't expect to be friends with this person, right? And, and sometimes I think we bring that same posture to even what we do as and how we conceptualize churches, though church is about the person up here with the mic who is talking from the Word of God, and, and, and the people up here who are singing, and, and it's this thing that we attend and consume, and, and that is not what I'm saying. Because I do actually think that if, 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 if just prioritizing more and more of that, then we do get in this hustle culture where some of you have been part of this. I've been part of this where it just burns us all out, right? But what I am saying, friends, is that it is worth prioritizing spiritual community. That it is worth prioritizing the family of God. I am saying that the way of Jesus requires a devotion, a significant investment of your time and resources if there's any hope of us being the body like we see in the book of Acts. And, and I think we all long for this. I think deep down that we, we read these passages of Scripture and sometimes it feels so out of reach that it's easier to just make up like, oh, well, that's them and they're not like us and so... But, but sometimes it sparks this imagination and we say, man, like I would love to belong to a community that served one another, that encouraged one another, that could have real conversations with each other, 
that would vulnerably open up their homes where we could share meals and, and, and receive and extend hospitality that would, that would be there with me through the highs and the lows. Like, we all want that. And some of us partly have it, and some of us don't, even within the context of the same church community. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the only way to that, the only way to access that is actually to be devoted in these relationships. The, the church is not what we do up here. The church is, is who you are. Everything that we do up here is, is, is intended to help you be the church more effectively. Like, because that is what it's about. But this is not a passive thing like a Red Sox game where you can sit back and observe and watch the cool things happening out there and have a good time and then leave. It's not passive. For church to work, it has to be active. That means there's something asked of you. There's something invited of you. There's something for you to initiate and take on. You can't just receive it. And I admittedly, having this whole conversation with you all, feel a bit like mom who is trying to get the kids to come home for Thanksgiving dinner. And like, you know, I don't love it, honestly. But I have this conversation because I believe genuinely, not only that it is necessary for us to to be able to go to where God is calling us, but also because it is for your good. Like, this is in your self-interest. There are reasons to believe that the cultural narrative that we have, the cultural narrative that I was talking about earlier of workism, is deficient. Right? It, it, it has a whole theology. We don't talk about it that way. A set of assumptions, a set of practices... But I don't think it's taking us to where we want to go. It doesn't work. Thompson, who we mentioned earlier, cautions that our jobs were never meant to shoulder the burdens of a faith, and they are buckling under the weight. A culture that funnels its dreams of self-actualization into salary jobs is setting itself up for collective anxiety, mass disappointment, and inevitable burnout. Collective anxiety, mass disappointment, and inevitable burnout. Look around. Check in with yourself. If that is what you're experiencing, it may be you are not bad, but there is an ideology that is corrosive, that can get its hooks in us. As Jake Mader put it in his recent book, The Great Dechurching, the problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for the church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. Look, if everything is working for you, if you love your job and, and you're just like having a great time, Far be it from me to tell you that you have, like, somehow bought into something that's, like, terrible and corrosive. Like, do your thing. Like, cool. Right? This is a get-to, not a have-to. But what I'm saying is that if you notice the telltale signs of anxiety and exhaustion as you're trying to chase identity and community and purpose down a road that is so commonly traveled by our peers and it feels like it's not working, perhaps consider that Jesus knows what he's talking about. 
that Jesus actually isn't just out to impose some painful burden or duty on you in order to make your life miserable, but that he actually loves you, that he actually wants what is good for you, that he wants you to flourish, and that maybe we're chasing all those things in the wrong way. The results are in, honestly. The evidence is pretty clear. This is crazy. Have you guys seen the statistics on what regular participation in religious community does? It's not a bad thing. If you pay attention to Twitter, you will get a very different impression, right? Or X, whatever it is now, right? But, but regular, I'm a sociology nerd. Some of you may be, right? Regular participation in a faith community, here's, here's what the clear and consistent correlations are. Reduced rates of depression, suicide, and drug use. Significantly lowered rates of divorce. Significantly more fulfilling romantic relationships. Better sex. More generosity. And in fact, you're likely to live up to an additional seven years. I'm not making this up. I didn't come up with this. This is what the scientists said. We are missing out on a treasure. What I'm trying to tell you today is that... it. This is like a Black Friday deal, okay? It's not something that you don't have to pay for. You do have to pay for it, right? It, choosing to prioritize, to be devoted to something, right, will cost you something. But what I'm telling you is that this is a great deal. This is a freaking steal. You've got to get in on it. Like, don't wait. Don't, don't miss out, right? Saying yes to being part of the family of Jesus does mean saying no to some things. It does mean that, you know, if you, numbers, right? If you give away more of your income to other people, I'm not, even, I'm not talking about tithes necessarily. If you like give more away to help other people, right? You will have less disposable income for yourself, right? You may be less financially secure, right? If you, uh, if you choose to spend more time outside of work hours, you might not get promoted as fast or go as far in your career. That could happen, right? If you choose every week on a weeknight with a toddler to after you've got, came home and gotten settled to go back out again and go meet with a bunch of other families who also have small children to try and share dinner and a Bible study together in an absolute chaos while kids are screaming and crawling over each other and like people are late and hurried and... It will absolutely, I, I, if, if this isn't clear, I'm talking about our fam family's microchurch that we participate in every week, right? It is absolutely more stressful and less easy than staying in and just having dinner together as a family. But friends, I believe that when we prioritize these relationships, when we invest in one another, that it's, it's worth it. We're growing something in community doesn't show up very well on a spreadsheet, but matters enormously for your life. We're becoming a kind of people that actually know how to love like Jesus instead of prioritizing our own self-interest. We're raising kids up who have a different imagination for the good life than they would if they just saw us hustling every week for work. Look, this is not a have-to it's a get-to, at least not for me. I don't know. Paul might argue with me about that, but I'm not trying to put a burden on anybody. I get that, as I mentioned before at the top, for a lot of us, life feels like a rubber band, right? And we feel like it's out here already, man. 
Like, how, how dare you put another thing on me? How dare you say I've got to take on a little bit more? And I want to suggest to you that what I'm actually inviting you to consider this morning is a reorientation that, yes, will involve you saying no to some things, but will create so much benefit and fruit for you and for others, right? The way of Jesus is not a burden. It's a blessing. He loves you. He wants what's good for you. May we be devoted to one another. Friends, as we move into our time of response and musical worship this morning, I just want to invite you to consider, what does this look like for me? Right? Because here's the thing. What I'm talking about is a principle. It's a posture. I don't have a formula for you. I'm not saying that you should serve X times a week or give X amount of money or or prioritize these relationships. I don't know, honestly, what this looks like for you very specifically. We got different people in here. Like, some of you are doctors. You got like a weird schedule, right? That is very demanding. That's not gonna change, right? Uh, Some of us have other careers where we're doing really important and beautiful things in the world, right? So I don't know what being devoted looks like for you, but I do think it means something. So as we move into this time of response, the worship team comes up as as they begin to play. Let me invite you to to consider, what does this look like for me? Like honest assessment, how's it going? Who are the people? Can I name the people who are spiritual community for me? Like maybe that looks very formally like a structure of a community group or a microchurch. Or maybe it's just like three girls that you hang out with, right? Or three guys that you hang out with. But whatever it looks like, I'm telling you that it needs to be there, right? So just take a a few moments as we enter into worship to reflect. The prayer rugs are up here. I'll be up here. Uh, We'll have others who are available to pray if you'd like to pray with somebody. Let me invite you to just consider, Jesus, if I were to really believe that what you say is true, that what you say is not a burden or a duty, but is actually for my good, how might I think or live differently?